please hit like, share, and subscribe. Now enjoy the Practical Guitarist Podcast. Good evening, Jim. At least we only evening, get, at least we only got one uh, one topic <laughs> in before um, we realized that my audio was not functional. We've had to throw yep. away a couple of um, a couple of episodes lately for stupid stuff like that. So uh, I would rather yep. catch it and then not and not like not throw away an episode. So yeah, um, folks, we've spent as many as two hours on an episode and. Multiple times and just have like nothing come out basically. Yep. Um, so, all right. So let's talk about uh, the top. Let's topic uh, uh, the what's new. I got a power cable. This is for the HX Stomp. Um, I located a place that actually had these in stock. There were only two that I could find on Reverb at all in the sta- in the United States. Isn't that crazy? Yep. I mean, I hope you don't need one because good luck. They might still up. They one. might not. It could be. It could you be got one of those too. <laughs> it could be six months before we see any here in the states. Um, yeah. So, which which leads me to believe, like, I wonder if I throw up my nine volt cables that they're going to be worth some money here. Um, I know, right? <laughs> you could have a cottage industry right now if you know how to solder and you got the right barrel jacks. You know. Um, there you go. There's your cottage industry. All right. Um, so there's that, and then. Um, what else did I talk about? There was something else for for what's new tonight that I that I mentioned briefly. Uh, um, Latvia. Oh, La- yeah, I said, Latvia. Yeah, I got, Latvia. I got a pack coming from Latvia here yeah, from, from Doctor Doom. Yep, yep. Doctor Doom is sending me a package. He asked me how I wanted it. I ordered grub uh-huh. screws because PRS can't provide them to me. That okay. Um, so I reached out to PRS and I asked the question. Hey, my grub go over what a grub screw is. Okay, so the grub you... screw is the tremolo screw that holds the the trem arm in place on a PRS. It's a tiny little screw. It's like eight millimeters long, um, and I think it's like five millimeters wide or something. And it just you Allen key it in there, and it holds the trem screw in place. When I first got my guitar, I, I ratcheted mine all the way down, but I went to go use my trem trem for like the first time the other day, and I've had this guitar for four months, and apparently my grub screw fell out somewhere, which is like okay. That, that that's terrible um guitar still functional without it but it just it's got play in it i don't like it um it's barely bigger than that yeah it's really <laughs> really small um so i i reached out to prs for a replacement and they and they they it took them a while to get back to me when they finally got back to me they said here buy this kit 25 dollars kit that has um every screw i could possibly need on the trim inc- including the grub screw but only one of them so I'm like, why would I spend 25 bucks on something that should be like a dollar or at maximum a dollar, right? It should be a dollar and I should get 20. Um, uh, so anyway, so I'm like, all right, you know what? We're not going to do this. They sent me over to Stumac. They said, look for this. And they gave me the part dimensions and I looked around. They didn't have any grub screws there, not, at least not that I could find. So I finally just said, you know what? The hell with this. I'm going to Amazon. I'm going to order them from Amazon. I did I did manage to get some. They'll be delivered this week. But um, it's, you know... What the hell is PRS thinking? Hopefully the threads are right. What I mean, well, they will be because it's because I had all the dimensions, including the thread dimension. But oh, okay, um, okay. it was an M8, I think. 
Um, okay. But anyway, so I was like, what the hell were they, what the hell was, you know, PRS thinking? Like, why wouldn't they just send me some? Because I found out, like, they've been sending people grub screws for years via envelope. They'd send five or ten of them in an envelope to somebody. Right. But it's like, I've, I, of course, I call up and it's like, oh, hell no, we're not going to give that. No, we're not doing that anymore. you got to buy the $25 kit. I'm, I'm uh, who are they selling to now? If let me let me say this because we we talked about something else earlier that may be the reason, but they should have shared that reason if it is the reason, and that is we can't get none. Yeah, I highly doubt that, but but I doubt it. But I'm just saying because it's a possibility. As I said before, I find it almost impossible to believe that they don't have some laying around on a desk. Yeah, that I, or in a drawer somewhere. No, they they Seriously. probably buy them by the million. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's it's just nuts. They buy them by the weight, I'm sure. Um, yeah. All right. So let's get into segment one. And we're on segment one. So um, this leads me to another problem with my PRS. So I've had it for four months. And I'm going to slow down the episode a little bit because I want to make sure I get this right when I talk about it. On the edge of my guitar... From the strap pin up to really where the forearm contour is, which on this guitar, it's not a contour, it's a bevel. Um, there is uh, a spot where I've had roughness forming on the edge, like the 90 degree edge of the guitar. Okay. And uh, I had it buffed out uh, and it was fine. And I was told that it was probably where. So I adjusted some things and I realized what was causing it was TechFlex uh, cable you know the, the expandable sleeving stuff you put on cables to protect the cable um now you're talking about like your here yes. or you're talking about on the edge on the edge like that that where the binding is okay right here now on the top ab- above that on the top because the because the cable would wrap over underneath my strap so you right, know right and it would ru- that it, and then the strap would pin it to the guitar right but it's not from your arm being over it no Really? No. So it's it's right here where I have yeah. I use every kind of cable and you can see I, I had have I had wear from there all the way up to the up to where your forearm sits. Like underneath my forearm where it would be. Wow. I mean and I play this I play this guitar all the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm still trying I to play get wear two to four hours a day. I've played probably in venues eight times, nine times since I got it. Um both in shows and jams. She's got some, you know, t-shirt wear and, and yeah, uh, that's normal. Like I, I actually, I'm starting stuff. to get that stuff in the back of the guitar too. I mean, I got a dent in the just, plastic. Actually, believe it or not, fine. That's that's to be expected. But um, and I've got a couple of sweat spots on it that I need to wipe off. To have that, that should take a long time of a lot of. It's not I, on the flat saying. part of the guitar. It's literally where the binding right. is on that guitar. Right here. Yeah, yeah. right where the right where the edge that 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 yeah. ninety degree curve is. Right. Okay. So. Wow. So I get it buffed out. It was fine. I'm like, no big deal. I'm like, it's it's now buffed out. Like I know that the finish is soft. It can be buffed, and and that you can take that kind of stuff out of the guitar. It's not a big deal. Yep. Uh, flash forward another month, and changing my habits. I no longer mm-hmm. use cables that are that have any sort of nylon webbing on the the part that attaches the guitar, and I no yep. longer use any uh, TechFlex cables with that guitar. And <laughs> you'd think after um, 
after a month, like the wear would have just never come back. But it's back. Right. And I'm a little frustrated because, um, well, my dealer told me, they said, you know, it's probably your strap. Well, it's on the top face of the guitar. So if you'd like to explain to me how my strap is rubbing against the top of the guitar, um, I would I would love to hear it because because that's that would be surprising to me. Um, <laughs> and the way I wear it, I'm a fat guy, so it's pretty much more likely it's going to rub against the back of the guitar (laughs) than anything else. So it's like, okay, guy, all right, whatever. Um, But um, it led me down this rabbit hole. And I've I've actually reached out to PRS about this because I'm like, something about this is wrong. Like this is not normal. And it's not, it may be normal for this year of guitar because it's the first year they've done this finish, which is a, a specialty item. It's nitro over acrylic lacquer so it's nitro it's a nitro finish for from the marketing perspective but it's a poly finish from the durability perspective because the undercoat is polyurethane it it's acrylic sorry acrylic it's polyurethane underneath that's that's what acrylic is it's plastic okay poly is plastic that's what it is um so anyway um it led me down this rabbit hole of learning a lot more about poly versus nitro debate and what nitro and poly finishes are like. So um, I, we actually have sort of half done this topic before, and I want to try to do it in a little bit more consistent way. So I think the first thing to do is to talk about um, nitro and what it is. And then we'll talk about, yeah. we'll talk about the additives that can be added to any finish because it will also apply to poly. Um, and why they do that. And then we'll talk about poly and the benefits of it and why you should choose one over the other um, and why it's right. kind of a peculiar decision. Or, that, right, why you might prefer one to the other. Right, and it's a peculiar decision that PRS has made to to actually back off of poly, which is kind of weird to me. Um, and I think that's a marketing it, thing, but go ahead. I, I, I was just going to say, I think we're going to talk about who PRS is actually selling to. And I am not their target market. It's very clear to me now at this point. Um, it doesn't make me like their guitars any less, but it's like it doesn't make me like the company anymore, if you know what I mean. So, all right. So um, we'll start off. We'll talk about nitro. Jim, nitro is nitrocellulose, which is plant material. It's plant fibers. Um, That's right. It's made of made of uh, fibers of, of things that lived yeah basically <laughs> basically yeah but, plant, at least, but plants not necessarily right. animals right. But. not animals right but it can also be from what i understand i might be wrong on this the, the chemists will jump on my back from what i understand it can also be like not real plants they're plants but not plants you know what i mean yeah like and it's the chemical compounds uh, you would find in plants Right, and, and it's which is the, which is the cells. That's what you call cellulose. That's that. That's the way that a plant. If you ever looked at a plant under a microscope, and you got the way that the cells line up, that's how. That's where the cellulose. The other funny part about it is, of course, that nitro is like kind of a, a gimmicky term, in that yeah. um, nitro obviously is supposed to be plant based, and it can be right. chemically made plant based, but yes. it can also include additives that are basically polyurethane, okay? That's correct. So, so <laughs> it's and, like, is and the it other, really the nitro? Other part, 
Right. Well, yeah. So Nitro, the whole benefit of Nitro, because I want to go with the benefit of what they say. Now, I don't, again, I'm not a painter and I'm not a finisher. I'm just going by what the. My brother actually the, is. So I have I have a little bit of inside inside yeah. track on that. But is that Nitro um, dries fast. So um, relatively quickly. It, and it dry it dries fast for extra coats, but it actually takes right. longer to dry. Um, right, because it, and there's been right, and there's been people who say, "Does your nitro actually ever actually set?" Um, and then there's the um, well, and that's seen, the, but that has a lot to yeah. do with additives too, because that's, that's right. another that's another whole thing. So yep. you're and absolutely correct. The, the, yeah. And so the idea, at least with, with what Gibson now, of course, again, we're going by what they're, they're, they're telling us. This marketing, remember, um, is, hey, we can put it on really thin and it'll be it'll protect your guitar, but it's super thin, which is supposed to allow the in the old wood to breathe and all the other shit. And, I, and don't don't think I'm buying into that bullshit. I'm just saying that that. That's their marketing scheme is that it allows the wood to breathe and it can be really super thin and blah, 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 whatever. I just know I like it. I like the way it wears and I'm fine with it. But but let's go to poly because a lot of people think that poly is cheap and poly goes on cheap guitars because poly can go on cheap guitars if done cheaply. But so could nitro, by the way. Well, so, the problem with doing nitro is not actually the finish itself. Like nitro itself is cheap. It's the facility <laughs> required to do it right. because you have to have proper environmental conditions dictated by the EPA to spray nitro. And in many countries, it's completely illegal. Um, I think you can, I think you can spray nitro in China. Um, remember the story I told you about the the guy that made Slash's guitar, the famous fifty nine. Yeah, that fake guitar, which everybody knew, including Slash, was fake. Um, nobody nobody tried to claim it was real. That guitar, that guy died because he was breathing nitro. Yeah. Because he wasn't. So it is very dangerous. Yeah. Those who don't. It's yeah. not good stuff. And it's also highly flammable. It can blow shit up, quite frankly. Um, so, you know, you want to build a bomb? Maybe nitro might work for you. Um, yep, just ask Peter Frampton. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's why he's got the Phoenix. <laughs> but anyway, go ahead. I'm just <laughs> so, so, um, nitro is, that is what it is. And it's valued in finishes. A lot of people think that um, the, the benefits of nitro, of course, is it breathes. So the, so the guitar can breathe, man. Um, do you really care if the wood gets air to it? I don't think it matters all that much. It may actually help the guitar dry out because there's still moisture con content in wood, no matter what you do to it. Um, right. And so because because it's a it's a finish that gets applied and it actually is porous, um, whereas yeah. whereas polyurethane tends to be it won't won't allow any moisture in or out. Um, right. And so nitro is valued for that. It is valued for the yeah. fact that it goes on extremely thinly. And because depending on what additives you put in it, it can be extremely hard or it can yep. be extremely rubber-like, okay? Yep. And so when you were talking about nitro drying faster, when you put 
paint on. When you when you spray nitro paint, that's not such a big issue. But when you're talking about the actual finished coat that goes on top, the clear coat, yep. that's where nitro gets interesting because most of the time companies want to put plasticizers in it to prevent um, quality control issues so yep. that the guitar will dry faster. But if you put too much plasticizer in it, it actually doesn't ever dry. Because right. the, because you put so much plastic, oh, so, so, so plastic example, something with a lot of plasticizer in it, it's caulk, okay? Yep. Use caulk, or do you, you use caulk in your bathroom, it always stays like rubber, right? It yeah. never it never actually fully hardens. That's why, because it's got so much plasticizer in it. It's an oil base that, that basically does, it never breaks down. And so that chemical composition is the same thing they do with, with nitro and poly. They use, they use plasticizers in both to actually make the finish more durable but they have to walk a fine line because if you add too much of that, it makes the guitar sound like crap. Um, right. That's that's essentially what Paul Reed Smith argues. He says, we want to go for a hard finish, which is exactly what he's done here. He's created an uber hard finish that is like um, easy to chip because of its location on the guitar, but also because uh, it's harder, right? Um, so it's just chipping under tiny, tiny conditions. Now, granted, if right. it were super brittle, I'd be taking huge flakes of the guitar off at this right. point. But that's not what's happening. Um, what you do see in some of the inexpensive poly finishes, if they get a crack, they will literally go like like if um, somebody has fingernail polish. Yeah. And you can tell they left it on for a while. starts to flake off. That well, kind of thing. and that's, you know, oftentimes that's a result of a bubble of air that actually got trapped in, during the finishing process because sometimes the guitar wasn't too. completely smooth. And so what happens is it heats up and cools down and eventually that air bubble expands and contracts. And you get a bubble in your finish, and then it breaks, and then you've got this giant chunk of finish that get, you know just falls off the guitar, basically. And I have seen many guitars like that over the years, where um, either because somebody dented it, or because of one of those kind of situations, the, the finish just kind of flakes off, and it's it's giant yep. chunks. Like we're talking, you can have a piece the size of your fist come off your guitar. Um, now. So what is your finish's actual job on a guitar? Because I think it's important to talk about that before we go, before we discuss poly. Um, and I think right. you, you know this, Jim, but people seem to think that like it's either a purely aesthetic thing. Actually, from my comments with other people, it's become very clear that people think it's an aesthetic thing. You can't really have a guitar that has no finish on it and expect it to last for any length of time because... Right. The kinds of wood we use for guitars are susceptible to moisture. Well, pretty much all wood is susceptible to moisture. And even if you were to tongue oil it, like you would have to tongue reapply tongue oil frequently. Otherwise, all the time. Think yeah. About, think about this for, for people who think about, think about if you had a piece of your deck, right? Yeah. <laughs> the wood that you have on your deck, right? Yeah. Typically pine or whatever. You're you're going to have to you even if it gets rained on that's not like you sweating on it and rubbing right. that sweat across it that's a completely different thing um so like kiesel so, does, kiesel does raw tone which yep. is like a really thin poly that goes over the guitar with no clear coat or anything and mm -hmm. they have they put green sealer on it yep. um to help prevent any moisture getting into the guitar but even then, if they didn't have a finish applied to that guitar, right, it would still it would still be subject to more problems than you know a guitar that actually has like a decent you know decent right. weight finish on it. Um, That's right. 
So, uh, and it's important to note that like you can have a clear that's a satin, like that the, yep. a satin guitar has a clear on it. It's just not a glossy clear. Um, right. So, you know, it's basically the same 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 concept. So now we get into poly. So what what poly, how poly differs? Poly is obviously um, completely synthetic. Okay, it's plastic. Right. That's exactly that is exactly what it is. When you hear the word poly, yep. think plastic. It is yep. um it is often it was invented in Germany in nineteen thirty seven. It is often sprayed and it is often hardened with UV or uh, with the application of an additional thing called a UV hardener, which is essentially yep. just another chemical that causes the finish to harden. Um even using hardeners and UV hardeners and UV lamps, sometimes they'll let them sit for a month before they completely harden. But um, the reality is those finishes have less quality control issues because they're they're hard as shit and they usually go on yeah. pretty thick. So they can be so they can deal with, you know, something like unattractive wood. Um, classic examples of those kind of guitars are like Fender stuff. Fender puts out is all basically poly. Now, they used to do a lot more nitro back in the day, but that was because poly was expensive. Um, they made the switch to poly. I think it was in 1968. 60s, yeah. Yeah, it was like six. It was in the mid 60s. I think it was 68. Um, yep. Which, which, you know, a lot of people think that uh, uh, was it 60? No, I think it's yeah. Like, it would it, it lines up with what I, I understand was in the 60s. I don't know if it was 68, but I know no, it was in the 60s. I, yeah, I think I think it was like 68. It was between 68 and 72 because I know that the 68s are still highly sought after. Okay. Yeah. And as soon as they go to poly, that's when the prices drop on them like like a rock. Because and it's partially because people have this this voodoo mythology about poly versus nitro. Um and here's here's where we wanted to talk about the 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 price gap thing. So it's the same stuff. You can still add plasticizers to it. You can actually add stuff that makes the finish harder. You can play you can spray poly on very thinly. It doesn't protect as well when it's thin, and that's partially because mm -hmm. um it dries much harder than nitro does. Uh, yes. So, but it's not prone to checking, which is another thing. So like when we talk about nitro checking, what that is is that the guitar expands and contracts and it causes the finish to split. That's basically what it is. Um, yep. And that's because the finish breathes so it can allow moisture into the wood that allows it to expand and contract. Okay. So poly, because it's it's non-porous, that doesn't happen. Um, right. And, and so... Um, you can still get cracks and stuff in it, but it would be mostly impact type stuff. And it's usually harder than your pick. So you're not going to wear through poly. It's just not, it's, I've never seen a guitar that like had like a hole where somebody had worn through the finish in poly. Um, now that's not to say it doesn't happen, but it's not likely. Yeah. Cause people, let, let me just say this when it comes to a poly finish. So you see these guys, they talk about, um, and I, I use that term in in a in a broad yeah just people, people um, that that take poly finishes off of a guitar. And I don't care if it's an inexpensive guitar or an expensive guitar. That takes like a belt sander. I mean, it's like oh yeah, it's really hard. You have to you have to scrape it off with like a paint scraper and use chemicals or yes. and or heat it. It's it's awful. Yep. Um, I saw a, a, a YouTuber do that the chemical thing where he used chemicals, the to chemical stripper, yeah, melt the stuff so that he could take it off. And even then, yeah, you still have was, to. You're still going at it with a paint scraper. Oh. It's just insane. 
It um, was hard to get. He thought that he could just put that chemical on there and it would come off easily. And this was a guy that he's a professional finisher somewhere in Europe that does guitars for the stars. And no, shit like it's, that. It, yeah, it's and, a brutal process. It's it is. I, so I, Polly's I, not going to wear nitro. We'll we'll wear nitro. Nitro. You can take off with acetone. <laughs> you want to hit with the finish? Yeah. Just, just spray some acetone on it and wipe it with a rag. <laughs> It'll come right yep. off. Um, yep. If you're if you're um, taking your fingernail polish off and you get it near that guitar, you might take a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Be, be careful. Um, don't 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 paint your nails next to your uh, next to your guitar. Um, if you got a nitro guitar. Uh, so. Yeah. All right. So that's like that's the one on one of it. Um, yep. And so like what is right for, for a player? OK, so um, at least in my mind. Oh, we were talking about we were talking about the, the, the budget end of the thing and like how right. everybody assumes that that poly is reserved for inexpensive instruments. But like certain guitars are poly like a lot of high end brands are poly. Um, I believe everything Ibanez does is poly. Everything mm. Ibanez does is poly. Yeah, I believe that. Um, I would think Music Man is poly. Music Man is poly. Um, I think all of these companies have probably done some run of Nitro at some point. It's just a thing yeah. that, that happens from time to time. I mean, time. I know Fender up in the custom shop stuff does Nitro. but Yeah, you can get poly mm. in the custom shop if you want it. Which yeah. which is – and people actually ask for that, which is why I'm, which, why I'm, I'm saying this. So like – I think that I think the the um, poly gets a bad rep because a lot of the cheap poly guitars are awful. Like Epiphones, yeah. for example, are sort of known for being like the crappiest poly because they're they, they put the it's not it's not really that they put the the finish on thick, and because it's an import guitar, they they would rather err on the side of making sure that the guitars come in and look decent rather than yeah. come in and, and have to get you know thrown into the dumpster. Or, or yep. as Gibson likes to do, run over with a a giant construct a piece of construction equipment. <laughs> um, I don't think they like to do that, but that is pretty funny. But but well, um, I mean, I, it, it, yeah. it's relevant. It's relevant. Yeah. Um, I, I just find it funny. Um, it, it, you're right. The the inexpensive um, guitars. Look, as a guy who worked at and goes to Guitar Center quite a bit, I get to see a lot of scratch and dent. You know what most of the scratch and dent is? Finish Fender. Or, yeah, it, it's Fender slash Squire, mostly Squire. Um, the uh, in the guitar and bass uh, yeah. realm, Gretsch, Epiphone that somebody picked up and bumped. Yeah, into an amp, bumped it into a display, bumped it into another guitar. It's, it's not a shot. Two of them. Yeah. And it's and it wasn't that hard. It wasn't like the person like, you know, did a Garth Brooks and uh, Ty England on stage with it. What no. And the, and the f funny part is, like, you can actually repair those finishes pretty well. I mean, you can do nitro. You can do a lot more with nitro in terms of repair. And um, there's still enough people that are super familiar with nitro that if you do have to have nitro stuff repaired, that like they can drop fill and do all kinds of crazy stuff to, to make it work. Whereas um, yeah. poly, it's a little bit more difficult. But um, I mean, they still do. They like they do. They I've seen people do uh, super glue repair on poly, which yeah. is like, I just I'm just yeah. it's maddening when you see somebody do it. You're like, really? Um, they cut it, and I've seen them actually like take a take a razor blade and cut out yeah. a hole, the and then they went, you know, 
just like, what? Yeah, because if you... It, it, <laughs> that's to make it look nice and neat. Yeah, yeah. But but the fact of the matter is, because uh, um, uh, it's funny that you mentioned that, because that's a, what I was about to say. Uh, it's, uh, um, you know, I would recommend it if you recommend, not necessarily you have to. I would recommend if you had Gibson do it, either have a Gibson authorized or a Gibson themselves do it because problem is then you get a little certificate that says it was done and, properly and they, and they match the paint. Retails. right and they match the paint which is right. which is a big deal okay because because yep. you're st it's still going to be visible under a glow lamp i mean you know what i learned you want to hear something amazing that i did not know red the reason red is used a lot is to hide i didn't know this because i could see every little detail in the wood mm -hmm. but believe it or not it's used to it's used to hide flaws in the wood even in transparent finishes i yes. did not know that yes i yes. had no idea that yeah. red was used to hide because the stain is uh, so it, it, the um uh the pigment that they use yep. for, for reds it is like way more powerful and potent and so it yep. can just wipe away minor imperfections in wood like if you got a green like stain in the wood you could put red on yep. it it just disappears <laughs> and it hides it it hides it it's like what, what? I, I did not know that the, the um because i love my red guitar don't get me wrong i mean yeah yeah that's the eric clapton 64 red but uh red cherry but um uh that is that is funny that i that i found that out and you were talking about the aesthetic and that's what i was about to go to so there's there's two sides of it Right. You were you were talking about let's finish. Let's finish what you were talking about, which is polyurethane doesn't necessarily have to go on cheap guitars. Right. And and actually what I was what I was I, the argument I was really kind of make was like um, even sound quality wise, I think people put way too much emphasis on polyurethane versus nitro because I played some great sounding poly guitars and I've played some great sounding nitro guitars and it doesn't really matter. Like pick the one you like, pick the one that pick the one that works best for you. If you're concerned about durability, probably yep. go with probably go with poly, but just remember nitro is going to be easier to repair. So right. it, it honestly shouldn't make much of a difference. Um, right. That's which is why I'm still kind of ticked about my PRS because it actually does make a little bit of a difference in this situation because now I'm like this guitar is going to have unnatural wear on it. It's going to look really, really weird when, you know, there's like a big chunk of finish missing around the, the edge up there. That, yeah. You know, I look at, um, I have, uh, I have friends who have a uh, really cool guitars, right? We, we've talked about these. You've, you've seen them out in, in places. This is what I was going to go with nitro. So this is the other side of it and what you were talking about. And this is the aesthetic, right? I see old Gibsons that and Fenders, by the way, and Fenders. I should I should say that old. Let me just say old guitars. They get a lot of play, and that neck wear starts to come in, and that arm yeah. thing starts to come in. And you know what that tells me? That's a guitar that's got a lot of really cool stories, and it's a, yeah. it's a guitar that's and, <laughs> mine's and, only a year I'm old. <laughs> yeah, and it. And it tells me I'm a romantic man. I got a guy. He's just a little older than me. He looks a lot older. He looks great for 74. Um, thing is, he's only his 50s. But um, <laughs> the the thing is, he's got a guitar that would have been the same age if I still had mine from when I was in my teenagers. That it, all the wear is gone from the neck. Every bit of yeah. poly or nitro is 
call. It's a 79 Les Paul standard. Um, and it looks like a satin finish. I mean, that thing, there's no gloss left to it at all anywhere. Um, and if, if there is, I don't know where. Maybe would, around the input jack somewhere. Would that have been anyway, during or, the, or the would that have been during their poly years? It might have been. It's seventy nine. Because so Gibson, Gibson did spray poly for a while. I thought. Did they? I thought. Um, I thought it was in the seventies. Well, yeah, this was a seventy nine Les Paul standard. So, so that would if it was done, that would have been the right time for it. <laughs> it would have. It would have been. Yeah, that that was definitely in the dark era of of Gibson. Um, but not to say again. I'm not saying that poly was bad. I'm just saying, it, I think it's nitro just because of the way the wear patterns are. Yeah, it's, but, it probably is because um, it's a custom. Yeah. So I would assume yeah. I would assume that would have still been nitro at that time. Yeah, and it's a it's a beautiful guitar. I mean, you know, if it was a studio, I would have said, yeah, it's definitely poly. I mean, but um, but it, the thing that that is, what I was getting to is this that I'm waiting for that day when. Oh, by the way, my guitar's name has been changed, and its name is now Riker, because <laughs> because it's my number one. Oh. So all the Star Trek references, you guys can laugh at it. Well, you know, you I know. have a number two. It's my Shengze. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's what the number two reference is. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just funny that. Uh, um, uh, I was just sitting there and and uh, I turned I was driving to a gig and it's sitting on the seat beside me this week and I look over and I go I so I, I go engage number one you know engage number one or number one engage and then I was like oh its name is Riker it's got to be Riker so that's it's been changed it's take, William Riker now take us out number one <laughs> yeah exactly so yeah I I think that that. When it comes to just like what you were talking about, I, I was watching a um, a special on uh, what's his name, um, Mark Mothersbrough from uh, Devo, right? Yep. That guy because he rarely put all the strings on his guitars. <laughs> yeah, okay? yeah. He, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yes. He played strats. Sometimes he'd have two, yeah. four, yeah, three I mean, <laughs> strings. It's on how, his guitar. how many rarely he had at that time. <laughs> Yeah, rarely six strings, which is funny if you if you watch the stuff in the old days. And what he did, because he didn't like to have his pedals on the floor, he taped them. It, there was Velcro years, there was duct tape years, it was yes, to the guitar so that he could change them while he was playing during the song. Mm -hmm. And so I just thought that that. There's a guy that did not give two, and there's a band that did not give two flying rats asses about the finish on their guitar. Yeah. At all. You know? And there's so many guitar players. One of the most famous guitars sounds that people cannot duplicate is there's a song called Spirit in the Sky by a guy named Greenbaum. Yep. You yep. know the song. Yep. The Spirit in the Sky. Anyway, that song has a telecaster with a fuzz box built in yeah and i thought that was so cool and so when we when we talk about all these you know we've we've talked about that before you and i on this show on the side especially people stop freaking worrying about this crap you know yeah it's a poly guitar it's a nitro guitar do you like it does this inspire you do you play it do you love it 
And that go ahead. That brings us to the last point. So circling right. back on the whole thing, back to PRS. That's right. To you. That's right. Uh, this this tells us some stuff about PRS's thought process. Um, yep. I, I don't know Paul himself what 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 his you know what was going through his mind when they decided they were going to make the switch to Nitro. I do know their core clientele has been has been all right. There's a big Gibson versus PRS thing. It's a pissing match. It's a it's a it's a dick measuring contest. Is what it is. It's a bunch of people being like, I got PRSs and I got Gibsons and I got custom shop Gibsons. Well, I got Wood Library. Okay, yep, <laughs> you can yep. see you can see where this is going, and it's like, um, I got true story. A minor have- all nitro finished. Okay, and the yep. PRS guys are going, man, I wish mine was nitro finished. And it's it doesn't matter whether it's nitro finished or not. Um, it has to do with finish hardness and th- thinness of application. So for like Paul's perspective in marketing over at PRS, I think they made the switch to nitro to sell to the blues lawyers and the rock doctors. I, I think so. they have made a very concerted effort that they don't give a rat's ass about the S2 line, like the people that are buying their, their working man guitars and actually using yep. them to work. Um, yep. which is what I am, right? Like I, I'm, yeah. I may not be um, a professional musician in the sense that I don't make my entire living off of it, but it's a working man's guitar. All right. I didn't buy a core model, a $4,000 guitar. I bought a, right. an S2, a $1,500 to $1,700 guitar. So that's why I'm like, I'm, I'm just kind of scratching my head on this whole, this whole nonsense. And I'm like, wait a minute. So you guys you know, have decided that you're going to go to a nitro finish that wears like shit. Now they had problems with the poly before. So we don't know what the extent of that is. None of us have data on that. So we could be just blowing smoke on our asses. So fair warning. But, um, I really, I, I have to believe the poly finishes were probably better than the, than the nitro finishes are spraying right now. I, I have to believe that because, I mean, my perspective with the instrument I have, either this one screwed up for some reason, or that, and, and I found out there are other people having issues with it, or they just have a really shitty process for nitro so far. And anybody who bought a 2020, a 2021 nitro finished BRS, you're not going to be very happy with your finish in a couple of years. Um, and they don't, they're not making any inroads to make this right with anybody from, from what I can see. So it's like, wow, that kind of sucks. Um, granted it was actually a little bit of solace in my mind when I saw nobody else was getting like refunds or anything like that, because I'm kind of sitting there and I'm thinking, well, that means that, that I'll, my guitar will look like just every other 2021 35th anniversary PRS. It'll be chipped to shit if it gets played. And, yep. um, so it is, and of it is course what it it's is. gonna be played. Yeah. I'm gonna play the shit I mean, out of mine. <laughs> like it's I'm sure I'm sure there's some dinkwad that's got an S two that they've got in a in a collection because there's somebody who there's these people called what what do they call it? Completionist. Yeah. They've gotta have one of everything, right? Well everybody I talk to who's got PRS, like they're like, I've got four. I've got seven. I bought four last year. They're all twenty twenty ones. What? What are you doing with them? Are you on tour? I, I, I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> it's like. Uh, it's funny, right? It really is. It's funny. Well, I got to have one um, for every tuning. Yeah. Um. So I get 
uh, um, what was I saying? Oh, so my my new Gibson, my my custom shop, custom. Did I and I say custom shop on purpose because obviously it's two. It, it, it's actually two physical shops. I, I'm sure they're in the same building, but it's two physical shops. I mention that because I have my relatively new Les Paul right behind me, and I've got this Les Paul, and the the um, and I've got this 335. The 335 and the and the Les Paul behind me got came from the regular American shop, right? This one came from the custom shop, right? Now I know why some people say, man, there's too much nitro on the back of the neck. Like, like a little bit too much. Which guitar because has too much? The custom shop. Oh, really? Yeah, it's it's got a lot more. There's a lot more nitro on the custom shop. And I think it's because it's white. And the white finished guitar has a tendency to wear um, for... Or, noticeably faster than the black because mm -hmm. you can wear a black one but the black over wood remember we were just talking about red over right, wood right right i think that they don't they don't care about the american you know ones that just go out right that what do they call that they don't call it american shop they call it something else but their regular standard shop um but the but i think that they want that white one to last white longer to keep maintain that mm -hmm. thing that aura um, I'm just, I'm well, just guessing. Yeah, the, the part you would be in contact with wouldn't be the color. It would just be the clear. Right. That's what I'm saying. There's a lot of clear coat there. Yeah. So they probably have just made it so that the, the yeah. Or maybe so it doesn't yellow as fast. Or maybe. Because I know that the white one's yellow. Maybe they That just, will happen. Well, yeah, but they don't, they won't now because they use a, the, the, they use a, a product in the finish right. that actually prevents the UV that fights degradation. The UV, right? Yeah, that it fights the UV degradation. It will never yellow like the old ones did. It shouldn't. I um, hope not. It probably, it, I, I would think at this point that would be very unlikely. Um, yeah. But because, you know, those things were yellowing before they came out of the store. I mean, like, it was yeah. like ridiculous. Um, yeah. But those, uh, that, that, like having the extra finish on the neck could just be something as simple as an oversight. I mean, that's, be. It's. Be. I wouldn't even worry about it. I mean, it's it's gonna yeah. wear off eventually anyway. So yeah, exactly. Or you could sand it down and shine yep. it up and not worry about it. Then. Yeah. Um, Once I've had it a couple of years, that's probably what's gonna happen. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, let's switch to the next topic. Yep. All right, Jim. We got Patricia's Majesty here. We're gonna talk about Patricia's yeah. Majesty and his, and his kind of what the hell comment. Um. I don't even know the the what the hell comment. Uh, I you, you can run with this one because this is your topic, and uh, I'll I'll uh, yeah. I'll play interference. Right, so yeah, so uh, Petrucci Majesty allegedly now allegedly, and I, and I want to I want to speak to this on a few different levels. So I'm going to go for a little bit. So he was in a um, an interview this week with uh, uh, Phil McKnight, and. Um, he made the comment that his guitar, he was told this by Ernie Ball, by the way. So this is Ernie Ball telling Petrucci this, supposedly. <laughs> is that his guitar is the number one selling um, signature model behind one other model, and that's the Les Paul, which we all know is not, it is a signature. It's not a signature. We go on Bernays about that. So 
In other words, his really is a, of a living legend. This is the number one selling guitar the signature. And I got I to gotta take a little bit of issue with that. Now, I know that there are different price levels of Petrucci's. But right now, a Petrucci, unless you get the cheap one, is four grand. Yeah, you know, unless, you've you've got buy, sales. unless you're talking about the Sterling. If you include the Sterlings, yeah. maybe, well, maybe, maybe. Yeah, the Eclipse color, um, for some reason, is 3500 bucks. But all the other ones are coming in 38 39 um, there's a couple of them that are that are five uh, 35 I mean most of them are in the in the four thousand dollar category and so um, with tax and so I'm thinking to myself I'm thinking really now then like you said there there's the what what do they call the the, the sterling ones yeah those are relatively inexpensive, but they're not really inexpensive. No, yeah, they're still a thousand bucks. Most yeah. of them are. And for Sterling, that's so darn he, expensive. So he also has the JPM, the old the old signature model too. Right, but those are not current. Yeah, but, but if yes. you were to but if you were to include those in the sales figures, right? Uh, now you but, know you know what I how I felt about this because I already yeah. told you we were and talking I, about this topic, but I went straight to where you did, so I'm going to let you say it. But all right, all right. I went. My mind went straight to that guy. I, I said, "There is no way he sold outsold that guy." Right. As far as signature models, so signature model guitars. Um, of course, you know we know. Actually, there's another guy that might have sold more than him, and if you can consider international sales. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, so, all right. So I my, my initial reaction was there's no way on God's green earth that the, that the um, the majesty has sold more than the Ibanez gem. There is right. no freaking way because there was a time period in the 90s and the 2000s where everybody was playing gems. In addition to the fact that the guitar has also been out 30 years longer, 40 years longer, that because because the gem's like 30 years old now. Or 30, no, it's I think it's older than that. Came out in 89, 88. So, yeah. Was I mean, yeah. So, I mean, that's like, that's almost 40 years old. It was right after he worked with, uh, with um, David Lee Roth. So, because um, I know he was in talks with Ibanez at that time. Mm -hmm. So, you look at the you look at the Ibanez gem. Now a JEM, a real one, not a not a the inexpensive model. The the um, well, there isn't a real one anymore. Two. It's now a Pia. Uh, they they well, don't yeah. make, they don't make the high end one make, anymore. Right, but you've got seventeen ninety nine for the gem. Uh, the highest end gem they make now. That right, the highest end gem because it was thirty five hundred dollars to get a, to get the, right. But the now Japanese that's the one. Pia. Yeah. Right. But that's the PN now. But I'm just saying that you still have a mid-level gem. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's and you have and, and you have cheap gems for the last 15 years or so. That's right. You've had these gem juniors for the last whatever years. Yeah, uh, ten and years the, on the gem junior, and I think the uh, the they started doing the cheaper ones in the early 2000s, the ones that were like 1700 and, and under. Right. Right. But you could I, I, look. I knew of years. 
several years that you couldn't get your hands on a gem because no. they were gone. Yeah. You just couldn't get one. Right. I mean, we're not talking about now when there's supply chain problems. You just couldn't get them. They were they were sold out. It's not um, only not only the gem. So like the other the other guitar actually that came to mind was um the uh first uh Fender signature model. The Dingve. Oh yeah. The Dingve because that's been around since like nineteen eighty four. And yep. it's existed in a bunch of different incarnations. They've had like six generations of that guitar. And it, it like it's so it is still I've only seen one ever. Ever. Yeah. And I've asked and they're like, we get them in all the time and they just come in and they go right out. And yep. like they make thousands of them a year. And there was a one point they were talking about the fact that that has been Fender's best selling guitar ever. Um, other than the standards in their entire line, which is which is wild. But it's a, but it's a strange guitar. And a lot of people liked Ingve during, you know, the 80s and even in, you know, into the mid and late 90s. And I'm sure there there are plenty of people that are nostalgic for that and still collect those guitars. And he is very popular overseas. And so outside the United States, that guitar is probably just flying off the shelves, even more so than it is here, which is why I just kind of I kind of sit there and I think about like Ernie Ball saying this. It's like, this is bullshit. <laughs> yeah, there's no way I'm just not buying it. There's no way. Um, I don't see it. No, no. I'm, I'm I mean, saying that it doesn't sell well. No. But when we get them in the store. I could see they, them. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was saying that when we get them in the store, they sat. Like there's one in, the, in our store that's been there for a long time. And I mean, there are guitars that sit. But when the gem or not gems, I'm sorry, the majesties come in, gems never last. Even used. They just they come in, they go out. Mm -hmm. But the majesties, when they come in, there's always that one person that comes in and says, I got to have it. I got to have it. And they come in and they see it. They come in and see it. But the thing about expensive guitars that hit shelves when they're there and, and they're available, people, I don't know why this is. When a, when a guitar comes in and goes out fast, there's that, oh, I have to buy it thing mentality that comes in. And I'm not saying it's bad mentality or a, or an undeserved mentality. I'm just saying that when when people see a guitar that comes in and goes out fast, they're like, "Okay, when it comes in, I have to get it." Yeah, because so, I, because I have to get it when I see it. You know that the whole thing. Are, Same thing I did with my stomp. Yeah, but when the gem comes in, or I mean the the when the um, majesties come in, they tend to sit, and because they tend to sit, people aren't really. It's not that they don't want it. It's that there's that, well, I can wait because it's going to be there for a while mentality. And I, and, and I think that's the difference, it, it, you know, at least as far as the stuff that comes in stock. And so I just, I, you know, and even when people would come in to look at guitars that were high end, PRS, Gibson, Fender, custom shops, you name it. Jim wasn't really the one that most people... I mean, I'm sorry, not Jim. I keep saying Jim. Majesties weren't really the ones that people came in to look at. And that might just be my area. It might just be, but I, I, I don't know. I think it's, I think a couple of things you may, you may be mistaking here. Number one, uh, re online retail is where those are selling. Um, I would yeah. be willing to bet that most of those never touch store shelves 
because they're going through online distribution. Um, I do know that that it is it is definitely their most lucrative model over at Music Man, without without a doubt. Um, I see so many oh, of those damn I things floating sure around. Sure of that. I, I see so many of those damn things floating around. Like it's it doesn't shock me. I I think in the next ten years they might actually become the second best selling signature model of all time. Um, but I just don't see that the, how they could have already done that. Not at the price point they're at. Um, even 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 you know looking at sterling and being like including sterling because because i don't know anybody who has a sterling uh music man the people i know that have music mans they have the real deal and yeah. they can't be producing that many of those um they're very right. expensive and they're actually not hard or they're, they're not easy to make um right like the one with the carbon fiber top with the hand etched carbon fiber like is pattern in it. No, i mean it's interesting i don't i don't know if it necessarily go that far but um i I would like to play. I would like to play one. I know a lot of people have talked about them. Um, it does not look on paper like it would be something I'm into. Um, I have played. I, I lied. I have played one, and I actually did like it. Um, but it was like the, the radius was too flat, and um, but everything else was cool about it. And and yeah. honestly, like I can see that being sort of a modern archetype electric guitar. Now here's my issue. Um, you're having a conversation about you know. Uh, signature guitar sales and it's like i hate signature guitars i hate I know them. we both do like why can't you just have a damn a, a majesty and take the stupid fucking signature off of it sell me a majesty without uh, the first fret inlay being the music or the the uh dream the theater logo yeah. you know uh, come on guys you know, so uh, i find that interesting what you just said because when Petrucci was talking about the demands that, um, and I say demands that not in a negative way, in a positive way, uh, that he made with. Can I just say one more thing before we, before we go on? The reason I actually said that, because I didn't make my, my point clear. The reason I actually said that is because the Les Paul has transcended being a signature model. Right. And the gem had also transcended being a signature model, just barely. It, it had just barely been like, Okay, now there are players that aren't Steve I playing this guitar. Okay, go on. Yeah, that's what, exactly what I was about to get to. So Petrucci was talking about all of these things. Uh, I wanted this here. I wanted that there. I wanted this other thing there. And I didn't want it to be like other signature models where they did this or they did that for sales purposes. Go ahead. I, I can see it. Do you, do you know who's eclipsed him? Long Ooh. ago, probably who who has the best selling signature guitar of all time, other than Who's that? Eddie Van Halen. The oh Wolf, yeah, the Wolfgang. That Come guy that absolutely outsold the gem for sure. For sure, I just wasn't thinking about it, and I just didn't think, you know that. But they're not considering that, that because it's been on three different brands. You know, yep. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah, yep. I didn't even think about that. Is it three or four? Three, um, three. Because he didn't have three. a he didn't have okay. a Charvel or, or Kramer. Oh, he Wolfgang. oh he didn't have a Kramer. That's what I was going to ask. Did he have a Kramer? Well, okay, he had a Kramer, so, but it wasn't a Wolfgang. Okay, so the Wolf the Wolfgang definitely. You can't even get your hands on it. Well, maybe now you can. Uh, let me say this: you got you got that right. There's no bloody way he's outsold the Wolfgang this year. 
Yeah. Or the last two years. Or any, gu- or any guitar the, in the, in the last, yeah. Because the Wolfgang's been around since like 89. Yeah. And, and, and it, that was the Fender, right? No, it started out at, um, well, it is now, but uh, I, that started out as Ernie Ball Music Man. Wait, Ernie Ball. That's yeah. right. It was Ernie Ball. So they sell the Axis now. They're still selling his signature model. Think about that for a minute. That's exact. I was going to say, I wonder if they've compared that to the Axis yeah, model. Well, yeah, but they're like, oh, well, the Axis is a signature. No, the Axis plus the, plus the PV sales, plus the, you know, not to mention, right. they don't have access to any of those sales numbers. They have no, no clue right. that's how it, many that's have sold to any of these other companies, which is really the that. conversation here, right? I mean, right. we've been going on and on about who's better, but but it's like, re- realistically, but, Sterling is telling him something, and they have nothing to back it up with. Well, so here's what here's what I was saying. So um, he talked about how the, he wanted to switch here, and he wanted the thing this, and they wanted this here, and they were all good things. Don't get me wrong. But there were there were two things that he that he left out, and and I thought that that were very important. And 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 I'm going to say this: Gibson Fender. Unfortunately, it's unfortunate for them. Every time they try to do something, they're like, you know what? We're going to make them lighter, and the people are like, I hate that. Or well, you know what? We're going to put the switch over here. I hate that. Or I, I we're going to change the knobs. Well, we don't like that because. Unfortunately, unfortunately, they want, I don't know if they want to now, but they wanted to do those things. And whenever they would venture into those places, people would say, no, I don't want those. We want the 1959, you know, or the 1960 or whatever, Les Paul, you know. Notice the ones that really sell off the off the shelves are the gosh darn ones that looking. Uh, Look at the $12,000 signature model, right? Or not a uh, $10,000 signature model from from uh, the guy from Radiohead, right? Ad- is it Adam Jones? No, uh, Ed O'Brien. It's been in three, three iter- what is his name? Ed O'Brien. Oh, well, who's the Adam, who's the Adam Jones? Who's That's he with? Tool. Okay, Tool, the Tool guy. So, <laughs> the Tool man. See, I don't even know. I don't, I don't freaking care. But the thing is, They've had three three iterations now of his um, guitar sell right off the shelf at $10,000 a piece. The Jerry Cantrell, people were like, oh, that's overpriced. But guess what? It's gone. Um, you know, it, the, the 1959 uh, um, Karina, nothing special about those guitars at all. Karina guitars, the, the Vs and the, and the Explorers, poof. Yeah, gone. but all those guitars them. are always gone. They're small runs. Yep. They don't they don't right. count for anything. No, what I'm saying is, though, people eat up the old stuff that want that stuff. And you, what you talked about with Paul is exactly what Petrucci's, Petrucci's fan base isn't me. No. And I should say fan base. The buyers of those the guitars. Bu- the buyers of those guitars. They're, 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 in you know, fact, most of them are very modern, like either metal and jet right. players. I mean. Right. He just came out with an eight string with with the fan fret thing. That's not for somebody like me. And that's and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that's a bad guitar. I'm not I saying am. it's crap. I'm just saying, yeah. You are can. you playing bass or are you playing guitar? <laughs> right. You're one of you're one of their targets. And uh um so my my I guess my point is he's not coming after me with the JPs. He's coming after those people. And so to say that Les Paul 
modified the crap out of every Les Paul he had. Yeah, yeah. I cool. mean, come on. He put switches and buttons and shit in there that nobody wanted. Can we, can but we, him. Can we, can we, can we, uh, I want to, yeah, I want to, I want to close this out, but I want to close this out yeah. by, um, having a, a very pointed commentary. Like, what is, what has John Petrucci even done in the last, like, 15 years? Cause, cause, I album. mean, no, the last album he put out was with Dream Theater, and Dream Theater isn't a band anymore. Like, they haven't been a band since, you know, didn't they just like, put something out? What did Mike Portnoy, just... Portnoy quit the band a long time ago? The band, there's no band anymore. Like, what is he? <laughs> I mean, I it's like, what, like 2007, I think, was the last record with Portnoy? <laughs> yeah, a View from the Top of the World is the new album. Yeah, who cares? Uh, no, exactly. offense, no offense, but who cares? And so, like, you're talking about the eight string, and I'm like, dude, you are struggling to stay relevant. And at this point, like, it's a lot of people are buying those guitars out of nostalgia for Dream Theater. And it's like, uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not l listen, it's a great guitar. I, I know people are playing them because they like the guitar too, but like there are a lot of Dream Theater fans and Dream Theater fans are, are Legion loyal. And there are people that like have every record twice and, you know, and all the import stuff, like just because even it's the same stuff, like they have it because it's the import case. They Their fans are like that. And I guarantee you there are fans of theirs that play guitar that have or they don't even play guitar that have majesties hanging up in their house. Oh, I'm I guarantee sure. it. Um, and I just kind of laugh because I'm like, this guy's not really even relevant anymore. And they're doubling down and he's like acting, well, you know, he's not acting like he really does have all these preferences. I'm sure he's that dude. Um, yeah. But I just kind of laugh because I'm like, who cares? I, I honestly don't care if he's outsold everybody else, but I just think it's kind of funny because how would they have access to those numbers? That was kind of my reaction to this is like, wait a minute, what? Um, yep. But I don't like if you like Petrucci's guitar, go buy one. If you like Petrucci, right. go buy one. Um, I just yeah. think that Petrucci needs to bury the hatchet and get rid of Mike Mangini because, let's face it, he's the one yep. that runs that band, and they need somebody to balance everybody else's ego. Um, That's right. Portnoy was the one. Yeah, Portnoy was the guy for it. So, um, yep. yeah. Anyway, uh, which is funny because do you think John Young would be the one that would balance everybody's ego? But yeah, he yeah. seems so soft spoken. But apparently, behind the scenes, like he's very art, like very artistic and very like pushing his vision kind of really deal. so there's a lot of ego in that band um that's what i've been that's what i've heard from other people who are more familiar um so yeah, that might be part of what portnoy was getting away from i stopped listening to them after six degrees of inner turbulence right that's after that right. record so that would have been right before portnoy's Portnoy's departure Portner's depart Jesus, portner's it departure. been, it's been all you you just said I think what it's been almost twenty years. Yeah, you I think they had Octavarium. Long. Yeah, it's like fifteen years. Um, Octavarium, years, yeah. and then I think they did like one other album after that, and then he. Because I know gone. I was living in New York when they when they broke off. Yeah, so um, I don't know. I don't. I I honestly don't really care. Like I think the the Majesty's a cool guitar. I think it's another guitar that's like way overpriced for what it is. In that yep. in that. Any guitar, I agree. Any guitar that's four thousand dollars, it's like, come on. And that's that, a signature guitar. Yeah, there's the, and, there, and there's definitely goes, a, few, uh, a few hundred dollars of uh, 
of uh, overhead there. <laughs> here's here's my problem with that. Can I can I just say this? Look, we just talked about the Gibsons that did the Adam Joneses. But those Adam Joneses, they've got every stupid little scratch, nick, ding, dang, whatever that yeah, they can I put mean, in there, right? They're replicas. They're not the same thing as this. That's right. So they're 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 supposed to be that expensive. Here, here's the problem I have with it. They they do these these guitars that are that are, you know, his guitar. He can literally. I mean, this is one guy that literally can walk into a guitar center anywhere, pick out his guitar and play it that night on mm -hmm. stage. And uh, it's the exact same damn guitar that he played last night from mm -hmm. some other guitar center or whatever mom and pop store that that has the money to put a freaking Petrucci in it, which I don't see mom and pops doing. But that's oh, they're out there. They're definitely out there. Yeah. So. So here's the here's the the rub that I have with it, and you 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 hit the nail on the head. Four thousand dollars. Yeah. Four thousand dollars for a guitar that's really not a replica. That's not a working man's guitar. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> it's just Ernie Ball does not I, produce a working man's guitar. Let's make this very clear. They don't no, have a model in their line that I would consider working man's. Which is why I'm kind of like, that's a company that I kind of look at and I go, the hell are you guys doing? Like, what, what is going on over here? Because um, every guitar is a signature model, save for like two. And then the ones right. that aren't signature models are available in like two finishes. And it's it's like, guys, who are you selling to? They're selling to fans. So it, their artist roster is really their, is really their sales tool. Okay? I mean, that's, that's what it is. And... Uh, I'm I'm okay with that. If you like the like I said, if you like the guitar, buy it. If you don't, don't buy it. Not a big deal. Um, yeah. Price wise, I think that when I I don't want to I don't want to overstate things. I'm not saying it's a three thousand or it's a two thousand dollar guitar. You know, no, marked up. No. no, I think thirty five hundred is probably fair for that guitar. It's really unique. I would. But but four thousand. Eh, that's a bit much, guys. Yeah, thirty eight hundred bucks for the for the higher end ones. I, here's the thing that, that that gets me, and maybe it's his name that can do that. I mean, Satriani's, other than the Chrome one, Satriani's at twenty seven hundred bucks, twenty eight hundred bucks. Mm -hmm. The most is twenty twenty eight twenty nine uh -huh. twenty nine. I mean, that's where I would picture Petrucci's model being, really. Mm -hmm. um, but I honestly think it, part of it is because it's Music Man. Well, those guitars are wildly different in construction too. I think you right. should take a yeah. look. At, I think you should take a look at the construction of the of the Music Man. It, it is a whole uh, other world. Oh, I know, I know. I said that. I think it's part of the, partly because of the fact that it's the Music Man. It's the way that they they construct it. There are some very very fine details in that Music Man. Actually, hearing very. that hearing that the Satch. Is twenty seven hundred? I think that's a bargain. Uh, quite frankly, I w I would be shocked if yeah, muscle car purple is twenty seven hundred. Yeah, I think that's a bargain because uh, I th I figured those would be about thirty two hundred bucks. Yeah. So, and uh, yeah, yeah. So it is what it is. All right, let's yeah. get into our final topic here, which is um, we we're gonna start doing. We might actually do this topic more regularly. Um. So, we're gonna talk about um some hard truths and I've got, I've got our prompt. So I'll read that because I'm good at reading. I can do that. I, I can't, I can't get an episode to record properly, but I could read. 
look, Ma, I can read. Um, <laughs> I'll never do that again. Sorry. Um, no amount of gear you buy will make you play any better. And most people spend thousands and thousands of dollars. Most people who spend thousands and thousands of dollars on gear can't play in time or in tune. Would you agree with this statement? I would agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> There's more to this, but we're going to start with that part. I have run into people who have either vintage instruments, custom shop instruments, handmade boutique pedal boards with, you know, amplifiers costing $5,000 who literally can't tell you the name of the notes they're playing or who struggle with, you know, counting four, four. It's like, what the hell are you doing? Spending all this money. Um, and I, so there is the marketing stuff that goes into this, but there's some people who just like nice things. They want nice toys. And, and it's like, I'm not going to disparage those people. But we tend to be, as players, people who are like, man, I get excited about the shiny new piece of gear. I need to get the shiny new piece of gear. I need to get the shiny new piece of gear. And we'll lust after it. And we'll spend hours looking at it on Reverb or Sweetwater or whatever and then read the manuals and stuff before we buy it and do all this research. And then, like, we get it and we still can't play it. <laughs> like, what the hell are we doing? What the hell are we doing? I know I bought, where is it? I bought this, all right? We I had it in the last episode, HX Stomp. And I spent probably my last week just dialing in stuff on it. And I was playing same time. Today was the first day I was like, you know what? We're not gonna screw around with tones. This is the first time I've actually like played guitar and actually like, actually it's not true. I, um, I've been rehearsing and we'll talk about that in the gig report, but it's the first time I've actually played guitar and just played guitar this week. That wasn't like totally systematically this. I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. And it, it like that hits home with this topic right here. I it bought does. a piece of gear and I would rather play with the piece of gear then focus on making better music. Exactly. Can we take a pause one second? Yeah. I wanted to wait until you, you finish that. I'll be right back. Okay. Apparently we're recording again. Okay. okay. <laughs> I, I had a, a very similar experience. So I sat down Friday. Fr Friday. I sat down with my uh, camper. And I was dialing in volumes. I wanted to make all the volumes as even as possible, right? Across the board. You're never going to be perfect. So then I, I spent maybe an hour and a half, two hours. And then I called in a friend. I said, look, I got ear fatigue. I know I got ear fatigue. I can't seem to see if there's a difference. Listen for me. He said, okay, that one needs to come up a little bit. That needs to come down a little bit. Then we got it in. And then I sat and played for like four hours. Just played. <laughs> and I didn't... I didn't care about what tone I was using. I didn't care about anything else. I just played. And I, for 
finally, like, just, it's hard to lose yourself in it. You know what I mean? To, to, to give yourself to just playing and not worrying about, am I playing? Um, how do I say this? Am I not playing it? I see a lot of people get caught up. Like you were talking about tone. They get so caught up in tone. It's like, they're just shoving like, it all in there. Dude. It's like, shit, man, learn to count one, two, three, four. Like <laughs> make sure you can do right. that before you, you know, one and two right. and three and four and uh, one and a two and, and a three and a four. <laughs> and, and that's the thing though. You know, I, I watch, I watch people. Uh, we were talking about this with karaoke it, and it comes into play, especially in guitar. Um, and, uh, it's this, there's a lot of karaoke singers and then there's singers. So I go out cause I enjoy karaoke. I have fun, you know, cause it's about more about not, a, not the quality of the singing, but the fun you have doing yeah, it's just, it. It's just a party. Like people but, don't, people, there's the same reason you should be going to an open jam or an open mic too. It's just like, it's a party. You're not going to like show off. Right. Showcasing. <laughs> And it's not about you being better than the other person and everything else. Some places it is about trying to get a job. You're there. They do a quote unquote open mic. It's more kind of a live. Uh, um, well, you can interview. always you can always treat it that way. But like realistically, if you're in there, just be good to everybody else and be a nice dude. Right. and Like have a good time. Right. So um, one of the so I go to a couple of different karaoke's last week or the week, the two weeks. So one one week I go to this one karaoke and everybody is like like this. They've got the microphone in their hand. They're like, there's these are the words right in front of them. They're like, and I was, you know, and, and, and it's like like a bridge over troubled water. Uh and, and there's no like you were just talking about, there's no timing. They don't give a shit about the and then and they sign up for every round, every round. So they're up there the next one. <laughs> it's like, I would just imagine all the people living for today. And you go, honestly, like how are you having fun that, how is that fun? <laughs> I would be way happier with this, this, this idea of like, stop worrying about gear and start worrying about playing. If you were just like, if you if you could just be like, all right, I'm gonna play in time, because because I because I can tell you this from not not from the jam I go to, like let's let's be let's be blunt, those guys are good, but almost everybody there is just freaking excellent. But I, you know, I go into guitar stores, I hear people playing. It's like, dude, if you can't if you can't keep the beat, then you need to be practicing that instead of coming to the store and looking at new amplifiers and that right and that speaks to exactly what i was talking about so i go to this other open mic this there i mean um, not open mic sorry this this karaoke thing the following week my buddy goes let's go to this one we'll go to this one anybody's just having a good time and they're just they're loving it they're laughing every single person in the place is singing almost every song and guess what timing was better Voices were better, keys were better, notes was better, and it was a more enjoyable experience that came along with it. Why? Because they weren't worried about 
the and exact making sure words. they got the damn words right. <laughs> and the little bouncing ball that told them where to be yeah. or the changing colors of the of the words. In other words, no, they they just enjoyed it. Most of them didn't even care if they were singing the right words. They were having a blast, mm -hmm. so it didn't matter. And that's that's exactly what I was going to get at is if you get in there and this goes to that guitar thing. If you sit down and just play the goddamn guitar, you're going to have a blast. Yeah. And all those things that we hate get transcended. And I say we hate because you don't like fighting with gear anymore than I do. No, I hate it. I hate it. I'd rather sell it. <laughs> I'd rather sell it if I can't get whatever. That's, that's why I sold the Helix. Like, I right. have the HX Stomp now. And I'm actually getting along pretty well with this unit, mostly because it just integrates with the other stuff I already have, right? Like the same thing with the um, the Captor X. It's like, I love it because I still get to use the stuff I really like, which is, you know, real yeah. amps and that kind of thing. Yeah. So, all right. There's another little piece of this. Most of the gear that you buy or that you obsess over is marketed towards churches or other market segments that aren't even applicable to you. You don't need a fly rig to play in church or at the bar, okay? And and, and that's my example, right? You don't need a fly rig to play at church or, or at home or in the bar. There is this mythology right now that this unit or its big brother or the yep. Kemper Stage, or the Quad Cortex, or the Axe FX uh, 3 Supreme Punisher Edition, whatever the new one is. Yep. Um, this new Challengers Edition uh, for, for Street Fighter fans. Street Fighter Alpha, no, it's 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 Axe FX 3 Alpha New Challengers um, Championship Edition. Turbo. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Uh, but they, these these products are marketed with the idea that well you can just make any sound in your head just come out of these these products, and that these products are a cheaper alternative to actually owning the stuff that does the sounds. Number one, I'm the first one to here to tell you, you can get great sounds out of those units. You are never going to get the real sound out of those units. It, you're, it's a facsimile. It it, it we have not reached. Um, what do they call it? The um, the the moment where um, we can no longer tell the difference between AI and us. The right. um, there's a name for it, the singularity or whatever. Um, right. We have not reached that yet. <laughs> like that's not that that's not a thing yet. Um, and for the for most folks, if you play country blues and you know jazz at your house, buy a Fender Deluxe. Not a deluxe reverb, just a just a tweed deluxe, right? Um, right. If you're into classic rock, you know that, those those genres, you will never spend time like hours sitting in front of your amp tweaking the knobs. It's just not going to happen. It's not going to be the same the same experience. Whereas nope. if I did that with this, well, which amp do I use, and which model, which cabinet should I plug it into, which yep. which overdrive pedal should I put in front of it? What? Right. <laughs> and it's like you go down this rabbit hole 
of going in that path. And so talking right. about the um, the fly rig thing and why it's not applicable to 90% of buyers. Look, if you play in a bar band and you show up to a club and you have a Helix and you didn't call ahead and ask like, how many inputs do we have on the board? Or you yep. didn't, or like the other, the rest of the band, show, oh, drummer shows up, he's got his new drum mics and his new kit. And you're like, oh shit. Because <laughs> you just realized he's going to need five inputs. And yep. the singer's going to need one and the bass player's going to need at least one. And so now it's like, well, I got to, where am I going to plug my Helix in? Because they've only got a, you know, an eight-channel board. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly the problem you're going to run into. You, yeah. You, um, whereas if you have an amplifier, at least you can get through that situation, right? Um, I look at look at fly rigs as in in addition to, not right. primary or only. Okay, um, and I so like for for somebody like me, I've got so many damn different playing situations going on right now. We'll get to that in the gig report. It makes sense for me to have appropriate tools for appropriate jobs. It does yep. not make Same sense here. for me to have what I had before, which was a Kemper, you know, a $2,000 piece of equipment um, that wasn't being used as an amplifier. It would have been used primarily as a direct box in addition mm -hmm. to, you know, in addition to having, you know, uh, a $2,000 Mesa Boogie rig behind me and another $2,000 Mesa Boogie rig next to me. So um, something like ATX Stomp, which is like 600 bucks sort of makes more sense because for the playing situations I need it for, it's it's affordable. Um Tech 21 fly rig, right? It's it's All a right. lot more simple, it's affordable, could have gotten the job done for me. Um for for situations where I would need that sort of thing. But the reality is yep. the vast majority of us do not need that. You're not playing no. Jim, when you told me you were playing silent stages, my reaction was bullshit. Because <laughs> I'm like, the, nobody's playing silent stages for real. The only people that are are church players, okay? Um, it, for the most part. And I know, Jim, I, you obviously are. But I mean, like, um, I'm just saying, like, 95% of playing situations, there's still monitors on the floor. Right. You know. that's You know what? You, and you have a very, very uh, uh, appropriate response because – most people use the silent stage thing as an excuse to buy the equipment. They're yep. like, no, no, we're going silent stage, so I got to buy it. Um, we're going silent. We're going silent stage so much. This is no kidding. We're going to have. Um, they're 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 like a projector screen that you pull. Oh, off yeah, for the, from the for, ground. yeah for the cabinets. Eight cabinets that are on projector projected. Screens. Projected. So that's how silent and fake we're going, okay? Because we want to be able to fit anywhere and do any gig and play any any spot. So um, we have, and we have all of our own gear. When we plug in, we've got the snakes. Everything goes yeah. with us. We plug in, go up, boom. But we can play. The bar could be as dead quiet as we want or as loud as we want and anything in between. Now... All that said, I think that that's – I think that most people search for those pieces of gear that you're just talking about, the Kemper, the Helix, the Axe Effects, the – what's the, the Quad Cortex? They're buying the, that stuff because they've, they've told themselves, this is my path to having access to all the equipment the pros have. 
Right. That's Jamaican. really what it is. And it's that's not it's, it's absolutely not true. That's right. But the bill of goods that they're sold. How do I say this? Is because that the gear um, is what makes those people great. The other the people are trying to emulate and that the reality is hearkening back to our original statement. It isn't the gear. It's whether you can play it. Right. <laughs> and if you buy something like, right. like a Helix or whatever, you're going to spend more time dicking around with the software than you are playing. And if you are like 90 percent of the people that buy them. Absolutely. So, so we come back. We come back to this. We come back right, right to what I'm about to say. If you're buying a piece of gear and, and a lot of people do this, by the way, you see this online so much. The what is the question that people are asking? How do I? What's the best plugin or uh, for that for the uh, Kemper? What's the best profile for the Helix? What's the best um, uh, patch so I can sound like David Gilmore? There isn't one. We've said this a million times. There Dude, isn't one. Does it does it actually turn into two high watts with feigned speakers and? Uh... It doesn't matter if it did. First of all, and this is the thing that they don't get. None of them get it because because they're coming into it, and it's there's nothing. It's not their fault. They're coming into guitar thinking the way that we that you would think about anything else. You have a car. You don't have ten cars. You don't have any. They're not thinking just about just because the I fact can buy that, a Ferrari doesn't mean I'm qualified to drive it like a race car driver. <laughs> right. Well, well, there's that. That that's what I was about to say. But you don't know how to drive it. So the fact is, it doesn't matter if it can make David Gilmore tones. You're not going to make like it sound anyway. like David Gilmore. <laughs> right. And and that's the problem. I'll never forget the first time I played my my daughter. Should, Wanted to sing a Shania Twain song. So I played it. Because that's how it goes. And I went. And I felt like Schroeder when he's with Lucy. Yeah, yeah. And he plays this beautiful. She goes, play play Jingle Bells. And he plays this beautiful yeah, rendition right, of Jingle right, Bells. Right, right. Goes, no, no, no. Jingle Bells. You know, ho, ho, ho. And Santa Claus. And he goes. And he plays it a little more simply. And she goes, no, no, no. You know, pretty girls. And, and then he goes, tink, 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 tink. She goes, that's it. The the fact is that that my daughter couldn't hear the the um, the basic harmonic structure because of all of the stuff that John Mutt Lang yeah the sparkly stuff on top it. the sparkly stuff on top right and she's like no no it's missing all the sparkly stuff it's missing the pretty girls and the ho 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 and the, and no in other words it, it it isn't what she did and I had to explain to her I go. But that's not the song. Right. Shania didn't bring that into John. Mutt wrote all this other crap on top of it. And um, and my point is that that we can buy all here we want, and we can pepper spray it with everything we want to do. I've got a new pedal coming in. A lot of people can say, "Well, Jim, you got a new pedal coming in." That pedal is so I don't have to put a whammy bar. All these freaking hardtails and can still get a whammy sound with it. If it doesn't do what I want to do, I'll sell it. I don't care. But the point is that that I'm not buying it because I want to sound like somebody else. 
I'm buying it because I want to add a little bit of a whammy to some of my sounds. But I want to sound like me doing it. You know, it's the same as a lot of people are like, oh, you should get the Jimi Hendrix wire. You should get the Ibanez this wire. You should get, get the, one you like. One. No, I got the one I like, and I love that one. I can't get another one to sound like or feel like. Which one do you have again? And I have the, I, I can tell you many times, it's the Slash Signature Wah <laughs> that is normally packaged with his fuzz box. Yeah. There's like a, a red Wah with a red fuzz box, right? Well, what happened was we got one in. No, the guitar center got one in, and the fuzz box was damaged. And um, Dunlop said, "Just sell the wah separately." And so, but but go ahead and trash the whole thing. So they were able to sell it for 120 bucks or whatever it was, 100 110 dollars or whatever. So I got that wah at a super good sale because it's normally in a 350 400 package. So I got the wah at a super good sale, and I love it. And it's probably nothing more than a Crybaby Quick uh, 95Q. No, nah, they're, just... they're different. They are actually different. But, but it might be. I, I played. Okay. I, I actually sat in the store and I I AB'd all of the was that that Dunlop was putting out that they had in stock. And uh -huh. they are. Which one did you? Like? They're quite different. I actually had a couple I liked. I like the um, the Kirk Hammett one, um, yep. which is everybody laughs because it's like. That's like the silliest wall, but if you're playing like but, really saturated distortion stuff, it sounds great. Um, and yeah. I, I ended up buying a Cantrell. Um, yeah. And I actually like the GCB, the Q95 or whatever. So Yeah, the Q95. Um, but my point is that, that there's always this... Um, <sighs> the reason you're buying the... The reason you're buying the pedal or the guitar or whatever... Should not be because you're chasing a tone that that will make you better. Because the tone is that tone. No, is not you just make need you. to practice. Like it's not that hard. Take take the fifty bucks you you put aside every month to buy a pedal every three months, and go buy lessons, or yeah. go buy you know do something that inspires you to play. Get um, something nice for your kids. I mean, yeah, I mean, honestly. Uh, yeah, because the truth of the matter is, whatever you do should make, if if buying gear makes you feel good inside, go for it. You know, it, it, you really should. But the truth is that, that it's not going to make you a better player. It may give you a voice you didn't have before. That I can live with. That I can see. I, The reason I still have a Stratocaster is because every time I play it, I go, oh, yeah, that's why I have it. Because it sounds like that. And I don't care what anybody says. Oh, yeah, I could get my Les Paul to sound like that. Or I could get my this, that, this, or that. To the... Strats sound like a Strat. Right. And, right. yeah. And I know you've got you've got your, your uh, is S500? Yeah. Yeah. And, and your S500 is awesome, by the way. You make that thing sing like nobody's business. But I just had a buddy of mine. He has, a, um, he has two Strats, right? Mm -hmm. He has a Strat that um, Fender put out this, oh, look at this, it's it's so nice, and it's got all these these super nice, um, they're lace sensors. Okay. Okay. And they're, they're um, a little more, and he got a yeah, they're, they're plain aggressive. old, yep, they're aggressive. He got a plain old white, Olympic white, beautiful, by the way, um, SSS Strat with the plain old, old pickups in it and guess what i was like he played it 
the other night. I said, that's a strat. Yeah. Your other one's good. And it's a strat. It's just not the same thing. <laughs> that's the strat. I said, when you play that, because he, he loves Hendrix and all that stuff. When he played it, I was like, that's a strat. That other one is not a strat. It's a strat, but it's not a strat. That's a strat. All right, let's, and, move, uh, let's move on to the gig yeah. report. I, sure. think it's, I think it's time. Sure. All right. Oh, I did the wrong thing. I made a title Oops. disappear. This Oops. is fun because I'm not using my control panel tonight. So oh, okay. I have to like, I, I just didn't turn it on my phone. Um, so there we go. All right. Now we're talking about gig report. <laughs> that, was, that was interesting. Um, ooh. All right. Uh, so as is customary, I'll, I'll go first. I actually have stuff to share, Jim. Stuff you probably didn't know yet. So, no, because we haven't, we haven't yeah. talked much this week. All right. So I'm um, working with a, a person locally. They, they asked me to yeah. come and rehearse with them or not rehearse, but, but come out to a, I don't know what to call it, a tryout, but it, but it, it's not even a tryout really. Like I'd already basically had the gig when I walked in. Um, right. So I, I got, he, he kept moving the date around and I was like, it's not a big deal. Right. Yeah. Pick a day. doesn't matter. Um, he wanted to do Friday, Saturday or something. And then we ended up doing like Wednesday last week. So we actually moved it up. It kept getting moved closer, which I was like, okay, I can do that. Like, that's <laughs> fine. Um, that's actually better. Cause that means you're chomping at the bit and I'm okay with that. So, yep. um, he calls me, he says, there's a studio in Geneva. And he said, I want to meet at the studio, the, the studio, and then we'll play there. So immediately I'm going, well, the guy cares enough. He's going to spend 20 or 40 bucks to rent the place for an hour or yep. two. So I, I get down there, um, walk in and, um, he's got his, uh, he's got a guitar and a bass set up and there he's using, you know, house equipment to rehearse, but, um, obviously he has his own stuff too, but, uh, it's easier cause he didn't have to haul things. And I set my Fillmore up and I, uh, plug my HX stomp in. I didn't use anything other than the HX stomp and, um, actually no drive pedals. The drive pedals were provided by the HX stomp, which is wild. Um, but yep. I, I can get most of my sounds out of that. Uh, the Sunface or not Sunface, the, um, analog band King of Tonus in there. And then the, um, the rat, it's actually got two, two rats. The one that sounds better. <laughs> okay there's two rats one of them sounds good the other one sounds bad um so i don't even know which one it is but um we we uh we jammed a couple tunes we played um knock on heaven's door which i'll get in a minute why this is funny uh we played uh paint it black we played one of my songs we played one of his songs okay so we worked kind yep. of through one of our each of our tunes uh his song was not difficult to play uh, my song was, uh, significantly more difficult for him to pick up. And, um, it, it's, there's a lot of shit going on in it. And then it's like noticeably so. And it's like, I, I don't fault anybody for like having trouble picking up one of my songs. Cause I, I, I spent all day transposing music for the next time we're going to get together. And like, um, not transposing, but, um, transcribing. And, uh, I was looking at one of my songs that I wrote like three years ago and I'm like, wait a minute. I'm like, what's the chord progression here? And I start like strumming chords along with it. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> what? I don't know what, I, what the hell I was thinking because the bass isn't following the chord progression. 
like what in God's name is going on here? And I and I know yeah. that there was a conscious decision to do what I did, and I can't for the life of me remember what the hell I did. So could you imagine learning somebody else's music and like the you're like he's playing these chords and and it's like baseline's doing something else. <laughs> it's just like going <laughs> in a different direction and trying to explain that to somebody like oh yeah. So I ended up yeah. I ended up actually tabbing it out for the for for the guy because I'm like. I just tab it out. This is what you're going to start with. You can make the part your own, however you see fit, but this is what we need to do. Okay. So, um, and it was just, just, it was, it was an interesting experience, but, but so like first thing that happened, I get in, I plug in, we talk for a little bit and then he says, let's play, uh, not going to have his door. Do you know it? I said, I have played it. I said, I, I don't necessarily know it per se. And he goes, Oh, he's like, I forgot to tell you I'm in flat tuning. Now I have a PRS and it has a floating trim. So <laughs> I'm like, I can transpose it. Um, so I'm thinking it's in G, it's G, uh, D, C, or G, D, A minor, G, D, C. All right. So I'm like, yep. I'll just G flat, so now you gotta D go flat, to... C flat, playing bar yep. chords and just flatten it. And so Actually, this, the original recording. Oh, it's wait, probably in flat not. initially. Anyway, it might have been flat originally. Yeah. I don't know. It actually knowing if I'm thinking of working or I'm not working man, simple man. That was it the Rolling Stone is it the Rolling Stones that, that recorded that originally, or was it somebody else that did uh somebody not else have his door? I think it was the, yeah, I, did, have his door was, I forgot who it was originally, was, um, but was Dylan. Yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. I just didn't know I, if it was if him or if it was somebody else. Because I know like um like Wild Horses is Burrito Brothers, the Flying Burrito Brothers, or whatever, or whatever. Um. Anyway, so, um. We played that, and I kept screwing up the chord progression because I'm playing in flat. <laughs> I'm playing, you know, I'm transposing on the fly, and I he get the end, and I said, "I'm sorry, it was rough," and he goes, and "He goes, no, it's not a big deal." He's like, you know, I, I said, "Well, I said if I'd written it down, I would have written it down in like in the actual." notes were playing so that I could look at it while I'm playing it and it, I wouldn't screw up because we're playing, you know, I'm not used to playing flat tuning. I don't, I, I can't tune my guitar flat. So I have to transpose. Like I don't have any other option. So, um, we've been going back and forth on, on the next time we get together on whether we're going to be doing flat tuning or whether standard. And I'm like, well, I can't do flat tuning. Like, I don't think you understand. I have to have my guitar set up for that. And quite frankly, I'm not going to go take my guitar and get set up for that when I've got other gigs to do too. That so, are in standard. Right. Right. It's like, I don't have six guitars and two that I, two great ones that I'm going to devote to this project because this is probably going to be the passion project. Um, so it's like, huh, I don't know, man. Like, I don't think that's going to work out. So, I would rather just learn to transpose everything and just do it that way. Well, then he wants to play paint it black and I go in flat tuning because I'm in standard. How am I going to play painted black when it's, when one of the main riffs requires an open string? Yep. Yep. <laughs> so I'm like, black is an open tuning too. So, well, it can be okay depending but, yeah, on how but, you play but it my point is they use a lot of open strings so yeah i just looked up i was right it was bob dylan by the way he wrote it in g and it was it was um i don't know if clapton who also painlessly did it but um when guns and roses did it they is went it, to 
flat flat right. tuning because they they tuned everything flat yeah correct so I, it, you know I, i'm looking at we're, we're talking about going to flat tuning in uh fitching company for the singers mm -hmm. but i have enough guitars yeah you could where, you could make that work like that's not a big deal yeah. I'll but just throw my, one of my four Les Pauls into. But in my situation, it's like, dude, <laughs> I have so many other playing engagements. I'm not putting this right. guitar in flat tuning. Are you high? No. <laughs> no. Um, and that's the other thing. I don't know if I want number one. Well, first of all, she's a fixed a fixed tailpiece, so it is easier to tune her down, tune her back up. But the fact is that if I put Riker in a flat tuning, it's probably going to stay in a flat tuning. Right. I'm not going to. I'm well, not gonna tune it down to it, it tune it will cause so even if I was to do that with a guitar with the with a fixed bridge, it's gonna cause intonation issues. That's right. That's absolutely which right. Which is why which is why I'm like why do people do, then, all right, this is gig report, but why do people do this? I mean, other than oh, it's easier on the vocals, and it's always the singer that wants to do it, right? But it's like, how about you just pick songs that are in your range? Like Well, <laughs> Yeah, I I don't think that it's I, I we're not doing it for the singer. No, but I mean so, like I've I've run into a lot of a lot of this over the years and the singer wants to do it or Right. The reason we're doing it is because a lot of the songs that we're covering now are tuned and we're 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 having to bring them up because it's Guns N' Roses has to come up. It's it's uh Right, uh, right. Hendrix, it's got to come up. It's yeah, Steve Ray Vaughan, it's got to come up. It's, not all so that stuff kinda, is transposable, right? Right. And so we're kind of going, and a lot of new music, a lot of your new music, especially if you do any country or you do uh, pop music, unfortunately, there's a lot of flat keys. There's a lot of B flat. There's a lot of F. Yeah, because they're, they're written on keyboards and they're played on right. keyboards in the studio. And, yep. you know, the guy forgot to drag everything in MIDI up one step. You know, it's like, yep. what the hell? Up half step, yeah. which they could have done. And, yeah. and so the fact of the matter is that we're we're fighting the the popularity of the flat tuning that, that everybody's going to. So we're kind of doing that for for that sake. Um, there, Like we're doing one that's drop D, but it's actually it's actually drop D down a half step. So it's drop C sharp. So it's like, all right, we gotta we gotta do something because, and it's already high, and then we want to well, higher. Well, fortunately, when we played Painted Black, he decided to tune up. Okay. Yeah. So that's good. so and and when he played bass, he he was tuned up, and so everything was cool. We played um, his tune, and it was all good. And then like, we played my tune and probably burned a half hour and then jammed out for the, for the remainder. So it's like, um, it's, I think it's going to be a good situation and, and it's cool that like, you know, I finally run into somebody who's serious enough about it to actually put some money into it. Um, mm -hmm. but it's, we'll see how it goes. Cause, cause I, I just don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't want to get into a situation where I'm going to be running things. I definitely don't want to be in a situation where I'm the sole contributor to everything. And I hear, I hear it's all my stuff and this is all my say, because that's what happens. So it's like, if you give them all the music, then it's all of a sudden, well, this is your project. Like, why don't you just run things? I don't want to do that. 
I want I right. want input from everybody. Like I want to do something right. collaborative. That's important to me. Um, That's the word I was going to use. So I'm just like I have to play my cards right because because I could just see this going into one of those situations where you know other guys contributing lyrics and stuff and we're and i'm writing a lot of the music and i just don't want to i like i would rather have it way more balanced than that um <laughs> so we'll be meeting with the drummer actually tomorrow night and uh doing our thing for the first time but actually i wanted to comment a little bit on the studio so this place is like a little hole in the wall shop in the middle of the downtown district in like a suburban area and they had he had like a like a big Sony console in there, and um, just like <laughs> lots of old interesting gear, and like it's just a weird. It was a cool. cool vibe. Like like the, you know you go into a shop on a on a in the downtown area, and the front room is always the the showroom, you know where they have everything at, and the back room was the the studio like the the um the console room right and the and the control room and then there's like a big glass wall obviously like you'd normally see but it was funny because the the entryway like the normal area where you would buy all your merchandise is actually the live room you know and you're like well that's kind of weird so you're playing in there and like you could see people walking by out front you know they can't hear you they can see you but they can't hear you That's kind of cool. Yeah. All the ones I've been in, the, the, the rooms that you rent are dingy shitholes that are in the back, you know. And well, and this isn't a rehearsal studio. This is an actual, like, recording studio that he, oh, that oh, he rents yeah, no, as a rehearsal studio. A lot of the yeah. ones that are around today, the, the small independently owned ones, will do rehearsals at a reduced rate because they ain't got nothing else going on. And they want to make money no. off the space. So Yeah, they may as well, because if they're not making money off an instructor that's in there giving lessons, they may as well make fifty bucks or whatever on the right, band. Right. So um speaking to that, is that your gig report? You got anything yeah. else? Yeah, I'm all done. Okay. So yeah, so I had uh church. I, I did church, um, did my standard songs. Um it's funny because church songs I don't uh, I don't know if this makes me a bad Christian or what, but I don't listen to Christian music outside of pretty much prepping for church, going church, and then leaving, right? So what I typically do is I'll listen to them like a couple times the night before, play them through. The problem the, the problem I have, and I'll, I'll get to this in a second because it kind of speaks to what you just went through. And I'll go to church and I'll play them again. And on the way, I, I have the, the, the distance to church is just enough to hear all the songs. One time. One time. So they're kind of fresh in my head. Uh, the problem I have with the church right now, and I'm trying to fix this, they had a musical director that played everything in either G or C. Because I think the only key he knew was G major and C major. So when I go to play everything, everything's either in A minor, which is C major, or G or E, or e minor. minor. So <laughs> I'm like, that's not the right key for this song. So when I'm sitting at home and I'm playing through it, like, why am I playing through all these solos? I'm not going to play them that way. I'm going to be close when I get to the church. So I've been lazy, which actually makes me work harder, which is what I was getting at. So I get into the church and I'm having to to move the music in my head 
while I hear it. Because here's, here's Amy Grant and here's our singers. Right. <laughs> right. Like, right. Uh, or Michael W. Smith or, yeah, yeah, you know, insert Chris popular Thompson, Christian singer here. Whoever, right. <laughs> insert, right. Insert Hillsong music here and then our church making a joyful noise. <laughs> Actually down here is where it's out of the, it's out of the camera's view. So, um, but it's, it, it, it can be fun and interesting. I'll just say that, but I've been using the Kemper the Kemper, and the Kemper makes it easy. Again, I just walk in and I had, I had a very non-Christian thing happen to me and I had a very unchristian reaction. So I'm walking in the church. We have rehearsal every other Thursday. So last week was rehearsal. And I go to walk in to church. And uh, as I'm walking towards the church, the there's a double door. Right. People walking. And there's these two women in front of me. And uh, I'm behind with my arms full. Right. I have a yeah. guitar in this hand. I have a camper in this I hand. think the doors are going to close. I am not six feet behind the woman in front of me. I'm giving enough room that she can get through the door. Nobody's wearing any masks or anything like that. So I figure they're just, I go, I walk right along. The woman in front of me goes in and the other woman pulls the doors closed. In front of me. Yeah, so you're six feet away, and they shut the doors in front of you. They didn't just let them close, because I might have been able to stick it's a like foot It's like they were trying to keep you out, and, you know, like, like he doesn't need to come in here. And so I opened both, I put my stuff down, I opened both doors. I put my feet way wide, and I walked through. And I said some choice words, <laughs> having to do with the size of their rear ends, and a few other things. You're going to hell. <laughs> they walk through. They walk right through the church and right out the back door. They were using our church as a shortcut. Oh, my gosh. To get from our parking lot to a building behind us. Oh, my gosh. Instead of walking on the path around the church. <laughs> I go into the... I go into the main church and I said, do you know what just happened to me? And I explained them. I did not hold anything back. I told them that I needed to pray for what I just said. <laughs> and I said, you know, and they said, yeah, the, those people, they just walk right through our church like they own it. And then and I said, but why are they walking through the church? She goes, we really need to lock them out. Because they... Because they just use us as a shortcut. Wait until uh, stuff starts know. going up missing. That's exactly what she was talking about. And I said, I said, well, I would be mostly worried about the food. Um, so I said, then pray for me for saying that. But so I said, anyway, so that was my my church one. We <clears throat> we had a rehearsal. Um, I was going to be playing bass for our regular band that I play guitar for on our next gig. I found a bass player to take my spot so I could go back to guitar. And uh, luckily the guy that was gonna replace me on guitar was like, yeah, Jim, whatever's best for the band, that's what you should do. 
get back to guitar. So I'm going back to guitar. And it's funny because we're doing, so I'm going to, uh, um, I don't know if I explained this. So if I did say this before, I need you to, to stop me, but I'm going to kind of go into it. So we're, one of the songs we do is Hurt So Good, and, and, I, and I play it very specifically. Yeah, but I think I was we talked about this last week. Yeah. But here, here's the thing. So the guys said he was playing it. We don't see a problem. I said, I want to show you how to play it right. <laughs> <laughs> I had Riker over my shoulder. I said, let me show you how to play this right. And and they go, yeah, that's it. That's what he played. I said, no, it's not. I'll show you what he played. So then I did it. His, they go, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> but it's funny because... Um, it's just the way he accented the same exact chord. It was the co- it was the same chord, but it was like, are you playing lead guitar or lead guitar? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lead, right? It's lead, <laughs> lead or lead. Um, so um, that that was what I was what I was kind of doing. I was like, you know, it's not. It's not that he was playing the wrong chord. We were both playing A major chords, but he's playing it, accentuating the low A at that point, and he needs to be accentuating the higher A at that point. The five, he's not really playing the five chord. He's kind of playing the, you know, the inversion, the mm-hmm. fifth over the one, the second version, and then accentuating the A after that. And so I kind of showed them that, and they were like, oh, yeah, that's right. And that goes back to what we were talking about earlier. No amount of gear is going to tell you to play that correctly. Because I said, what's important? And they go, well, why is it important? You're still playing an A. I go, because it's it's voice leading my vocal. So it's very important because it's part of my melody line. You, you're thinking it's a harmony, but it's actually voice leading my melody line and if you voice lead that wrong i'm going to come in low which means my whole thing is blown so i got to hear the right tones i'm going to sing it wrong i um i've been actually dealing with the same thing with uh painted black because that that lead line you know the dun, 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 the, the main part yep. of the song right yeah um <laughs> yeah so it's normally with a drone that's higher than the than the melody line okay but because I have to play it in flat tuning, or I have to transpose it, I'm now playing an E flat that is lower, lower. than the melody line, which makes it sound very classical antiquity thing. Yep. So I, right. like, yeah, it matters. It does. That's People right. are like, oh, it doesn't matter. No, I changed the whole it feel of the song does. now because it doesn't feel like a raga thing anymore. Now it feels like right. um, a classical thing, which is okay are you using- with that song. But are you using any kind of sitar um, uh, emulation? No, nah, I'm just the... being a badass and making it sound good. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> I somehow know how to like make it sound like there's a sitar going. On. I don't know. I could see the S500 doing that. I don't. I, I could, don't know. I do it with my. I do it with my PRS. And yeah. uh, I just don't know the PRS well. Well, now it's going to sound like a. Uh, it's gonna it's gonna sound pretty heavy metal. Like this is basically because it's gonna be very like it, it it sounds like you're playing in harmonic minor, you know? Because yeah. you are basically playing in harmonic minor. That whole yeah. song is in harmonic minor. It's not really yeah. an Indian tuning or anything. Um, no. I, it was in it was in uh, drop D though. I think double drop D originally. Yeah. Um, 
which is weird because the drone is an E. So it's yep. like, how the hell did they pull that shit off? Um, Capo? I don't know. It must have been. Because um, it, it's a cool song. Was that was that a sitar? I seem to remember yeah, it is reading a, It is a sitar there. on the original record. It's a choral sitar. One of the first yeah. uses of them. Yep. Um, actually, no, it's not even a choral sitar. It's a real sitar. Uh, right. I take it back because uh, the choral sitar, I think it pre- the song predates that. Um, that's an old yeah, song. Like people don't realize that was like right. I don't think the that was after the just after the Rolling Stones started writing their own music. Yes, that's one of the first ones that they wrote, and that was mid sixties, if I remember correctly. If, if not the yeah, first song, they, if not the first song they wrote, that is a very early song in their category catalog. What they wrote because um, that is nineteen sixty six. So. Yeah. All right. Uh, Let's get the hell out of here. I've been David. I've been Jim. And tonight we've been Practical Guitarists.